Uh, it's good to be with you all. If I've not had the chance to meet you, I'm Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. And I am continuing us in this conversation. We've been in the rhythms of grace. There's this invitation from Jesus that we think is essential to this faith journey where he looks at us and he says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are tired. If you've been tired at some point in your life, raise your hand. I'm looking at all you online. Raise your hands there too. Yep, okay, actually every hand. I have been tired at some point in my life. Now there's this other interesting thing that happens is sometimes life is so much like this uh, waitress uh, a few months back said to me, life is lifing. And I was like, yeah, it is. I know that. If you know that, if there's this weariness because of life in your own strength, life in our own power, life because other humans happen to be humaning around you, there is this thing that happens to us at different points for seasons, for hours, for days, for years, where we can become weary. And good news, Jesus says, come to me, get away with me, and I will help you recover your life. I will help you recover your life. Walk with me, learn from me. Let me show you the unforced rhythms of grace. It is not works. It is not you being really good at religious things. It is us learning to be really relational with a relational God so we can live with the rhythms of grace. We've looked at prayer. We've looked at scripture. We've looked at rest. And today, yes, today, you get the privilege of being at church on the day the lead pastor talks about money. And everybody rejoices and wants to go back to the coffee break. But here's what I know. If you're a guest of ours, I'm so glad that you're here. If this is your first Sunday, you've picked a great Sunday to be at the Vineyard because if you're going to hear the heartbeat of a local church, hear the heartbeat around how we handle conversations like this. And it might be a moment for you to determine, is this a trustworthy place? The fact of the matter is, Jesus talked a lot about money. And I just had to work through my own soul. I've been learning how to do this over the last, you know, 16 years of pastoring, and honestly, since the age of about six, I've told this story before, but when I was six, I remember talking to my parents like, hey, mom, dad, we making budget this month? We gonna pay all our bills? We okay? And so what's interesting is like there's been this, this thing in my own soul where I've had to work through my own insecurities around if we're gonna have enough. We always had enough, turns out. What six-year-old is like, are we doing Okay. So I just paid attention to that in the presence of God and with community, and I'm learning how to let my own heart be more free because there is a rhythm of grace for all of our life, and it turns out here in the United States where we live, money is a part of our life. So the question we have to ask is actually a really simple one. Does God care for us? And does God care about you? If God cares about you, then we don't want to resist the care of God in the rhythms of our money. If God cares for you, we don't want to resist the care of God in conversations through prayer about provision, about decision making, about living free from the oppression of greed, living free from the oppression of fear, living free. Because it is an unforced rhythm of grace. So where we have to start today is does God care about you? 
Jesus talked a lot about money. And in my own heart and mind, I had this thought running through my head, like, if you came today and I was like, hey, we're going to talk about loving more, y'all would be like, great, that's what the world needs. We're going to talk about more kindness. It's like, yeah, pastor, preach. We're going to talk about more generosity and giving of our financial resources. You're like, get out of my bank account, Kurt. So here's the thing. Everyone is welcome at the vineyard, not because of what you give. It's actually not the conversation today. Everyone is welcome in the family of God, not because we've checked W-2s. The question is, will we be a community that lives different because of Jesus? Will we live into a rhythm of grace where we let the smartest person ever give us the wisdom of heaven for our life? For our life. The rhythm of giving is a call to trust God and live generously. To live generously, to live open to the work of God in our life, in all things, which does also include how we relate to, how we experience, how we think about money. Okay, I feel a little bit better now. Nobody's thrown anything. But even that, can you just tell a little bit, like there's this history of how the church has handled money that makes it so that when I step up today, a community that has loved me, walked graciously with me for a while, I could feel nervous like now's the moment I'm going to ruin it all because I talk about money. Because maybe people have been untrustworthy, because organizations have really blown it. Maybe because somebody has really blown it with you personally and it's like, man, this is like rough. Maybe because our culture has some real money issues. Whatever it is, let's just step into it knowing that it really is a heart of grace. It really is a heart of grace. So I want us to open up to a book in the New Testament where there's a letter being written to the church. This is going to be in 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapters 8 and 9. If you're new to faith or you're asking questions about faith, what a great place to start the journey just to see how other people have kind of done it throughout time. But I'd encourage you to start in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. And really, like, hear my heart in this. The thing that God has been speaking to me about is that God speaks to us. And I want God to have authority in all of my life, and my hope is God would have authority in all of your life. And so as you experience the life and love of God working with you, walking with you, these unforced rhythms of grace, you would actually discover greater freedom in God speaking to you and walking with you in regards to your financial journey. I do not hold more financial wisdom than the maker of heaven and earth. And so genuinely, my heart as we seek the scriptures and as we share a conversation today is that you would just let God speak to you. That you would follow the voice of God. You would let God shepherd you in this journey so that you would be free. So 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read a a little bit of a longer passage so we have context. So just hang here with me. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. 
In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. Hear this. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, were the fir- you were the first not only to give also, but to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Before I go any further, if it is an unforced rhythm of grace, today God is not talking to us about what we don't have, but right where we are. If it is an unforced rhythm of grace, God is not talking to us about a works on you, by you, but by God and for God with us. For us. Not what you don't have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Do you hear the context? Do you see this heart? Okay? Now take this into chapter 9, and I'm going to jump forward a little bit into verse 6, and it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and I would add a free giver. There's freedom. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace 
God has given you. Because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Because of the surpassing God has given us. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Church family, if we cannot anchor ourselves in the grace of God for the giving of our lives, we have missed it. And if we do not see that the way of God's kingdom is that when we step out in this and when we walk in this way, it is for the benefit of so many more people who will say thanks be to God and praise God for our confession of the good news of Jesus is being multiplied out every time we sacrifice in this way. And we just go, but for the grace of God, but for the grace of God and his indescribable gift, what a wonderful context for how we think about this. And what I love about the testimony of the early church is that it inspires us toward generosity. I mean, you look at the churches in Macedonia, it's like they were living into it. And we still talk about them today. Do we know who the richest person was in the church of Macedonia? Wasn't the point. Do we know who the most impoverished person was? Not the point. The point is, together as a community, needs were being met, and then needs were being met, and this posture and this testimony of life and service and joy and generosity declares what to us today? The grace of God. Good news, church. It's good news. It is good news. What captures you in this rhythm of grace? As you read this, maybe you've read it before and you just knew, yep, we're talking about money. It's going to be 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I know right where he's going. Let's be cheerful, church. Let's be cheerful. As we just like beg you to like bleed yourself dry. Cheerful. It's got to be the Lord. It's got to be rooted in some things that help us. Let me give us some context, right? If you're new to church, um, hang in here with me. I'm going to use maybe some church language. I'm going to try to point to some scriptures. But think about the early church. The early church was living the New Testament reality that we now read about, but they were anchored in what? Old Testament scriptures. They were faithful to the work and word of God throughout time before them. So we look at the Old Testament. They were oriented to this whole idea of generosity through the Old Testament law. And here's what we get. We get a church word called a tithe, a.k.a. a tenth, which is, if you've been around church, like church, give a tenth of whatever you bring in to the church so we can do stuff. It was the law. And here's where we see that. I'm just give you some scripture references. I'm not going to go over them all because that would be like we would be here all day and that would not be kind. Genesis 28, there is a response of the life of God in someone following God, and the response is, God, you did this in me, I will give a tenth out of what you've done. It's the first time we see a tithe show up. A tenth as a response to God's work. In Leviticus 27, uh, here's what they do, they just say tithe on everything. Tithe on this grain, tithe on that spice, tithe on this, tithe on that, tithe on this, tithe on that, tithe on this, tithe on that. Leviticus 27, it's law. It's like the rhythm of the community, but it was a tithe on everything, and that sounds exhausting to me. So, that's what they were anchored in. Numbers 18. 
it says the Levites, who were like the church leaders, they served in a rhythm for the local church synagogue. It says they received the tithe and put it to the purposes of the community and the work. Malachi 3 is where you get this interesting thing that you might feel is a little bit like heavy-handed if I'm using it today. But it's basically the Lord says, test me in this. Do not hold anything back from me. You have held back from me. I'm asking you not to do that anymore. You have held back from the Lord. So there's these rhythms in these conversations that have been happening for the early Macedonian churches as they're living into the way of Jesus. And here's what I want us to see. Generosity was the practice of the people. I mean, giving a tenth was way more than the people outside of the family of God who were not giving a tenth back to God. They were giving zero. Like they were giving zero to God because they weren't following God. So the people of God are following God and they're learning how to give a tenth out of what God had provided for them. God is provider. But Jesus came, right? So that whole tenth thing, it's done. He came to do away with the law. No, it says he came to fulfill the law. It's different though, right? Like what are we doing now? Do we still do the Old Testament tenth of everything? Well, here, let me, let me ask you to look at the scriptures with me. When Jesus comes, what's so intriguing about Jesus, in my opinion, is that he regularly called people beyond the letter of the law. He says, you've heard it say, but I say. The law says, love your neighbor. Walk with me. Learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace so we can learn how to love our enemy. Because that's a different way. That's a grace-oriented way. So what is this work of Jesus fulfilling our life as a generous people? What would it look like for us to live into this story? And here's what I think we have to know. Jesus talked a lot about money. And he confronts the really religious people in Luke 18. Because this really religious person steps up and goes, hey, Jesus, I did it. I have, I have kept everything in the law. What else do I have to do to experience and inherit eternal life? I've done it all. I'm living according to the law. And Jesus does something really, really fun. He looks at the person and says, sell everything Give to the poor and follow me. Sell everything, give to the poor and follow me. He's basically saying, I'm not interested in what you do on your own. I'm interested in what you're doing with me. That you're walking with me, that you're obedient to me, that you're hearing my voice and following me because I want no other gods before you. And it says the man went away sad because he was wealthy. It was going to cost him a lot. And you're going, I wish I could have had that problem, right? I wish I had been that really wealthy person. It was like, yeah, Lord, like, I'll sell my millions. No? Not? Yeah, so if we can see ourselves in the scriptures, it's always been hard for humans and money. But here's what I want us to know. It's all God's grace. It is all God's grace. We need to understand money in that 
simple phrase, it's all God's grace. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 say all of our generosity, all of our giving is about compelling grace. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability because it was whose ability? God's. It's God's grace. It's compelling grace. All of our journey around this conversation should be compelling grace. Here's the thing. It's grace-saturated. All of our giving is always grace-saturated. Chapter 8, verses 6 through 15. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Here's what's really hard about the American church. In the best research that I've been able to find, now again, any statistics people in the room? You can always sort of make stats, say what you want to say, right? So I'm just, tell, I'm just holding with a grain of salt. I was reading an article from a group called Tithely, and they said this, currently in America among the Christian church, the average uh, generous contribution, it averages out at 2.5%. In the Great Depression, they said it was 3.3%. The church is giving less today than during the Great Depression, on average. And what we probably know is people outside the church give about 2.5% to nonprofits and practice generosity and live generously. The question is, will we look different? Will we look different? And here's why it has to be about a compelling confession. It is about the confession of the good news of the gospel. Chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, invite us to this story of how God is at work among the people. And it says this, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God. The story is always pointing back to the creator. The story is always pointing back to the provider. The story of our life points back to who is God. That is the story of our life. The story of the people of God. The story of the scriptures. And I just think we all need to ask, are we allowing God to speak to us in this part of our life? Is it a rhythm of grace or is it a rhythm of frustration? Is it a rhythm of grace for us? goes on to say later in chapter 9, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. When I confess Jesus as Lord, Jesus gets everything. Jesus is Lord of my everything. So I just want to talk real practical for a second. Real practical. What we said in the, the last time I talked about money here at the Vineyard is I want to acknowledge something. Every dollar that you give to our local church, to any nonprofit, to somebody on the street, means you go with less. The moment you give your resources to somebody else, you are sacrificing. You are sacrificing. You will have less. For those of you that love Tex-Mex as much as I do, when you give now 1383 away, you cannot get a large queso at Gringos. 
It's real. You have less money in your account when you give money to somebody else. It is sacrificial, okay? So practically, in the next part of what I'm going to talk about, hear me loud and clear. Every dollar that we receive as a local church is the dollars we have in our bank account and with our budget to partner with God in this city and the cities that we love, and it is because you are sacrificing. I am so aware of that. And it's actually the sacrifice of our family. My wife and I have talked about this. And we just said, you know what? If we did not tithe, we would have more money. And I just think, you know what I would have? I would also have more responsibility because it would all be on me. So I'm just talking out of a real work in my own soul, in the own journey of our family, trying to figure out how we do this. So here's where I want to talk about practical. I think there are real barriers to why we may or may not tithe. So if we use Old Testament, say, hey, church, let's use a real nice system, just tithe. Let's go from 2.5% to 10%. Let's try to get Old Testament on us, okay? 10%. If I ask everybody to give 10% of what they bring in, what I know are there are real barriers to that. One is trust. Do I trust God? Do I trust that God can meet all of my needs on less? Do I trust the organizations that we're giving our resources to? Do I, do I feel like it's trustworthy? Do I feel like it's safe? Do I feel like it's secure? It's trust. Here's what else. Greed. Greed is real. Greed is a historical reality of this nation that we live in. Greed has sown deep seeds of heartache and wounding and stripping the image of God from people. Because we live in a capitalistic society where I'm going to go make more profit and I'm going to have more. And greed, I've been trying to think, how would, we call, how would we define greed? I think greed is where the more that I want is more important to me than God. Greed is a sin. Greed means I'm moving away from God in the orientation of my life around money. Greed is an insatiable appetite that what I have is not enough. So greed is about having more, and I think fear is the other side of that. I think fear is a real barrier to why I would not be generous, because my fear is I will not have enough when I need it because I sacrificed today, and my tomorrow is not secure. My tomorrow is not secure, which calls us back into the story of God, our provider, that he met the needs of the people in the desert, and he met the needs of the people then, and he meets the needs of the people now, but greed and fear are real barriers of my own soul around why I would not do this. And it just turns out life's expensive. I was talking to my brother-in-law two weeks ago. I shared this story a couple weeks ago, but it's interesting to talk to our church around money when the grocery store is taking more of your money. Right now, like 30% of your budget just went to HEB and to Kroger. Did they feel bad about asking? Did they stand in front of their congregations and go, okay, church, let's talk about this. Okay, H-E-B shoppers and Kroger shoppers and all of you who go to Costco, uh, we're actually not asking for 10% more, we're asking for 30% more. Anybody? Am I the only one that feels that? They're like, I don't know that, I, this, is this a trap? Is this like a, is this some sort of financial Will we let God be God, even of our money? 
If we need some rails to run on, the tithe, 10% is a good budgeting strategy. And here's what I know. Most likely, if you're not tithing today, it's hard to tithe tomorrow because you've already allocated all your money to stuff. Life is expensive. The culture we live in is always saying, hey, get this nice thing and this comfortable thing and this thing, and, and we're navigating this, we're navigating that. Life is expensive. It will take work by the Holy Spirit speaking wisdom to you to work towards that. And so here's how we like to talk about it at the vineyard. Let's go to a few slides, the first step, next step kind of look. Here's how we talk about growing in our giving. If you've never given in response to the grace of God in your life, the first step is a first gift. Pray, ask God to speak to you, ask God who the gift is supposed to go to, and walk in obedience. Give a first gift. That's where we start. If I'm not giving any gifts, a first gift. Once I've given a first gift, then we want to start to learn to give a consistent gift. A consistent gift. With what I have, again, not what I don't have, but what I do have. And then by God's grace at work with what I do have, I begin to give a consistent gift. After that, then we start growing towards a proportional gift. I go from 1% to 3%. 3% to 5%. Dare I say 10%. But it's okay, because we don't get stuck in the letter of the law. We don't get stuck in our own strength. I've got it so grooved. God, I don't need you. I know how to give 10%. But we say, God, I want all of what I have to be yours, so I learn to be extravagant. I am not held to the letter of the law. I am held by the living God, who I just say, you and me in this together with a community. This is how we grow. This is how we grow into the story together. And so here's where I want to land for the life of our church. Over the last six weeks, we've been telling you about this dream we have about expanding into the next generation. There are week in and week out students who are gathering right now in our lobbies. Anywhere from 25 to 40. And this property next door came up for sale unexpectedly. And we put an offer in. And we said it depends on funding, but they took our offer. And then we talked to our lender, and our lender said, hey, we can put $350,000 towards it. We think that works within your budget. We think that works within your cash flow. Turns out we can't spend money we don't have. <laughs> can relate. In our budget as a church, we actually work to give money away. So when we talk to our church about tithing, our church budget, we're actually trying to tithe or more beyond our church. So when you're generous here, we can be generous out there. Other nonprofits, other kingdom partners, responding to mercy and benevolence, responding to the needs of our city. So we're trying to practice as a community what we're asking you to practice. The property is a house and four acres for $650,000. We were not sitting on $650,000 cash in our savings account. So we talked to our lender. They said, hey, we can do three fifty. dollars Over the last six weeks, we've been sharing with our church, hey, be ready, be praying. Hey, be ready, be praying. Today's the day I get to say, be praying, be responding. In the last six weeks, we've had additional money already come in and committed 200000 additional dollars from the kindness of our church family has already been given and or committed to be given by October 1st. So now we're at $550,000. Let's go to this cool little picture. 
just 46%. You go, wait, Kurt, that says 1.2 million, but you said the property is 650,000. Property is 650,000 and it needs some work and it probably needs a fire lane and some other things we're trying to figure out what the city needs. But that also includes the remodel and then we don't want to just have a house, we want to invest in ministry, so it's also funds to invest in ministry. On October 1st, we have to tell the seller whether or not we can afford it. Seems fair enough, right? Like if you were selling a property, you'd want to know if the buyer could actually fund it. 21 days. 21 days. Over and above. This campaign is cash over and above. We're not asking you to make pledges. We're not asking for the next three years of your financial journey. What we're asking is for you to pray, and if you're in a position to give a gift, we want to direct over and above gifts to the next generation. But here's the thing. An over and above gift might feel like a huge stretch if you've never begun giving because at the same time, our church is growing. Kids' ministry is full. Student ministry, I just said, is full. Small groups are expanding. Our compassion to the city, we want to expand. We want to be a part of what God's doing. And so that's the consistent giving of our local church so that we can grow in our generosity. And so I'm just calling us to respond. Consistent giving goes towards general budget, over and above cash campaign. And here's what I just, I'm going to try to be super transparent. This number, 1.2 million, is two times our annual budget. So just to be super, I'm going to be super direct. This sounds crazy to my human brain to look at our church and go, hey, church, let's fund our annual budget of $650,000 and let's give over and above two times that number in the next 21 days. Anybody else looking at me going, are you crazy? Here's the thing. I want to be, I'm, again, I'm just trying to be super transparent. If we can't fund the house, our leadership team is holding it so open-handedly, we will say no. We're not going to go back to the bank and go, give us more debt. Like, we're not doing that. What I do know is for the last year plus, we've really discerned what God's doing in this next generation, and it's good. And if we can't expand on that property, we're ready to put a temporary modular structure that we can't afford on this property and then dream for what the longer-term thing is as the funds are there. So church, we're good. It's okay. It is the grace of God. It is the grace of God we're talking about expanding for the next generation. It is the grace of God that we would be joining the mission of God in the cities we love. It is the grace of God that we get to move to two worship services on October 1st because we need seats for the people that God is moving in lives. God is speaking to people and calling them into their story with God. And this is how I stand before us, to say, God, call us into your story. Call us into your story that we as a local church would give more than 10% away. Call us into your story that we could be a part of what you're doing in the earth. Call us into your story. So here's my ask. Over the next 21 days, I want you to pray. And if the Lord speaks to you, just begin to respond. Just begin to respond. And it's grace. Because I'm not asking you to give what you don't have. But I do believe God speaks. 
And I do want God to speak to me. And here's the last story that I want to finish with. And then I'm just going to take a moment for it to be quiet and we're going to pray a little bit. I grew up in a home and my dad was a pastor. And when you live in Texas and you have only brothers and your dad's a pastor, everybody, everybody asks, which boy is going to be a pastor like dad? I'm the middle child. Maybe some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I always said, not me. I'm going to go make money. Remember that thing I was telling you about as that six-year-old? Still was there as a 17 and 18-year-old. I'm going to, you hear that? I'm going to go make money. I'm going to be rich so that when I follow Jesus, he can look at me and go give everything. I was, that was not a good plan. Y'all are already hearing that. Like some of y'all are looking at me like, yeah. In my heart, I had decided money was more important than what God might be speaking to me about. And in the grace of God, that was laid down because I get to be a part of the story that God was writing in my life to be a part of this moment and this journey and this story so that maybe, too, I can look back at my life and go look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. And my family is wonderfully cared for. And we are grateful. My life has needed this grace-oriented work. And I only invite you to come with me on the journey I am walking as well. May we be a people that look different because we are following Jesus. May we be a people that live different because we will hear God speak and be obedient. You don't need to be obedient to my voice. That's not working out well for the American church right now. I need to be obedient to the living God with a community who will be on this journey together. On this journey together, whatever our part is, whatever God will speak, if you can give over and above, we are grateful. If you're beginning the journey, we think it's a journey of following Jesus. We would love to encourage you on that. Take a moment to pray. God, the first thing that I ask is right now, for anyone who's hearing a voice that is not grace-oriented, I pray that your grace would overwhelm us. We know that you are the source of life and you are the most generous giver of life. So we pray that your generosity would overflow in our hearts would overflow in our minds and that we as a local expression of your church family would embody the way of Jesus. We humbly hold our dreams for our own lives and our dreams for our church family 
before you, God, and we say, would you speak to us? Would you lead us? Would you meet the needs of every person and every household in ways that they would know your grace? And would you speak to us as a church family about this moment of saying yes to the next generation, that we would hold it in your grace? As we engage these next 21 days of prayer, I pray for a deep, loving connection with you, God. I pray that for those of us who have not felt like we could hear God's voice, we would hear God's voice. And I pray for healing and for freedom and for hope to emerge for all of us as it relates to God and money. I pray that we would yield greed and money where it's been an idol in our lives like I know it was in mine, that we would lay that at your feet, Jesus, so that we could be free. And I pray for for those of us who've been struggling with unemployment and financial burden, I pray that we would hear and feel your comfort, that we would see the hand of God providing along the way, that we would not miss what you have been doing. And I pray that our church, like the church we read about in 2 Corinthians, the Macedonian church, that it would be said of us that it overflowed and overwhelmed with their generosity, that the cities rejoiced and that people came to know the good news of Jesus and there was thanksgiving to God well beyond our church. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Lead us and guide us. We want to be obedient to you. We want to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I want us to stand together. It's a sign that we're almost done. We like to close our time by praying for you, hearing from God for one another. You are free to respond in giving at any moment. We are so grateful for what yeses have already come in. I hope you feel encouraged by that. But what I know is I think this journey is more than about the next 21 days. This is about living into God's story for our future. And so if fear around this, if frustration around money, if this has just been a hard conversation, we would love to just pray for God's peace to come. We would love for God's trust to come and meet you. If you have real financial need, if you're going, man, I cannot believe you're talking to me about this. We are just getting, it's been really hard. We would love to just pray for your needs to be met. That's what we see in the scriptures is God meets the needs of people. So we just want to stand with you. And so really, there, I, whatever that response is, if you just go, you know what, I just need time responding with the Lord, you can do that at your seat, you can grab a friend next to you, but we'll have people available to pray down here. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being the kind of community that I can stand with and feel the love and the gift of who you are in a conversation like this. The last one is this. I I think for some of us, this is the thing. It says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Here's how I want to say that. God has more for you. God has more for you. Your faith in your walk with God is to cross boundaries that have historically, like, my God life is over here. My other life is over here. God is what I do on Sundays or over there. I think God wants to just flood more of your life with his generosity. And so if that just makes sense to you, we'd love to bless what God's doing. So God, we uh, bless your people.
to hear your voice. We pray you would speak over the next 21 days. I pray that just like we see a compelling testimony in the early church, give us that testimony that we would look to you and in 21 days from now, we would just go look at what God has done. Fill us this week with your heart, with your trust, and with your resources for every good work that's in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen.